Black Panther is now out on video. You should have it by now. If you don't, what's wrong with you? What is up, everybody? This is Karima, a.k.a. The Blurred Girl. And I am back, uh, finally, with a new podcast and a little bit of a new format. Um, I'm going to be talking about geek news as well as comment on some things that have been grabbing my attention lately and I'm going to be talking about comics and a bunch of other things that I don't really always get to talk about in like my other podcasts and my other ventures and um I'm sorry for the delayed reaction with the uh between the last podcast uh episode and this one but I've got a lot of new work I've been doing for sci-fi wire and I'll get to that um so I don't have enough hours in the day I need minions I need assistance help but I want to tell you all about that, plus what's been going on this week and some stuff that's coming up right after I pay some bills. Hey folks, just jumping in real quick to see if you know about the Blur Girls shop on TeePublic. In there I have tees, totes, sweatshirts, mugs, even onesies, and some really great sayings and quotes. All the proceeds of the purchases go towards support of this here podcast, as well as operation fees. So please, if you support this podcast, the site, and the Blur Girl channel, please purchase from the store. There's two ways to get there. One is to go to theblurgirl.com slash store on my website, and you can also check us out on Instagram by following the Blur Girl Shop. I have an app set up right inside of Instagram so you can shop right from the app itself and it will take you to the store. You can buy whatever you want. So I appreciate the support. Now, back to the show. Let's just jump right in. Um, I want to talk about some news, some geek news. Um, There's a lot of reboots happening right now. And it's funny because I'm looking at this stuff going, can we please come up with some new concepts? But I guess not. One of them, one of the reboots that's coming out is Charmed. Uh, And it's getting rebooted with two Latina girls and a black girl who you will recognize, uh, Madeline Mantak. Or Mantak. I don't know how I'm supposed to say it. Sorry. Sorry, Madeline. Um, She was Vale in Into the Badlands. And I'm glad she's working because she didn't have to die. Neither did Tandy and Solo, but that's neither here nor there. So The Power of Three is back. Uh, it's not coming out till October, uh, but they did drop a teaser and it looks interesting. But they didn't really use their powers, so it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, but it's going to be coming out in October on the CW. I think maybe they've released it too soon or before all the effects were finished, kind of like Tom Hardy and um, in Venom. <laughs> the first two teasers didn't have any Venom in it. <laughs> People were upset. The next reboot that's coming out um, is the new Spawn, which is going to star Jamie Foxx. And it's going to be written and directed, um, I believe directed, by Tom McFarlane. It's Blumhouse is doing it, so that means it's going to be horror. Uh, Blumhouse are the people who gave you Get Out, a few other horror remakes. They're a small company, but they know what they're doing. Years ago, apparently, when Tom McFarlane announced that he was going to redo it, um, but didn't have, you know, the money or the backing, I guess, Fox approached him um, and said, hey, listen, if you do do this, you know, I want dibs. I want to play Al. But he hadn't done anything yet. And then last year, I was actually at San Diego Comic-Con last year when McFarlane announced that he teamed up with Blumhouse and that he was going to be remaking Spawn. And then he told Deadline actually last week, I think it was Deadline, that he never stopped thinking about Fox um, as playing Al Simmons, who is the character Spawn. 
And by the way, there's been some chatter on social networks like, oh, why are we making this character black? Because um, it's canon. He has not been reskinned, as it were, um, which does happen in the comic book world when you take a character and make them change their race or change their ethnicity, etc. Um, Al was always a black man. So that's not new. Another couple of reboots that just <laughs> are just tickling me are um, Magnum P.I., now, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm going to tell you I'm old enough to remember as a child, <laughs> Magnum P.I. being on, Magnum P.I. reruns being on, that's what I'll say. So that's being rebooted, which is kind of creeping me out. Jay Hernandez is going to play the new Magnum. He is going to be a former Navy, Navy SEAL, who in this case returns home from Afghanistan as opposed to Vietnam, and repurposes his military skills to become a private investigator, which is, that's kind of the original magnum right the rest of the team uh the rest of the cast is perdita weeks as juliet higgins zachary knighton as uh orville rick Wright, and stephen hill as tc as theodore calvin i don't know why but that one just kind of makes me laugh and i think i want to check that out that's not necessarily like geeky or genre but i want to see that one another remake that is also tickling me is murphy brown i don't know why they're redoing this show I don't. And Candace Bergen is still going to be Murphy. Where do we go? Is it like Murphy Brown's child all grown up or something? I don't know. That one really, really makes me laugh. And then, of course, they're uh, actually coming out this week is the live action version of Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and Dagger is another show that it's not really a reboot it's or a remake. It's really an adaptation because there's never been a live action version, but they're bringing it to uh, Freeform. I've seen the first four episodes, actually, and I'll, I'll talk to you more about that later, but it is, I like it. Short version, TLDR, I like it. Other things that have happened are, whoever out there is a fan of the Gorillas, the band that always uses the animated characters to be them, it's actually brilliant when you think about it, because the, the Gorillas musicians can just walk around and be who they are and nobody knows. But they have, uh, they released a new video for their song, Humility. And uh, instead of Murdoch, who apparently is in jail, that particular character uh, was replaced by Ace from the Powerpuff Girls, which, you know, of course, immediately geeked and freaked out. Non-geeks didn't know what we were talking about. Anyway, the whole video is basically anim- an animated 2D skating all over a live-action Venice Beach, singing the song with a live-action Jack Black playing guitar and backing him up. Um, we see Noodle playing chess. We even see Russell a little bit later um, being a jerk because Russell. Um, but halfway through the video, instead of Murdoch, we see Ace, the baddie with the green face from Powerpuff Girls, drawn in the gorilla style, um, pop these guys basketball with a knife. But And it's funny, everybody's really, really flipping out over Ace, which is really interesting. And I think it's hilarious that they were allowed to re- like basically use that character. But I also just want to comment on the animation just because I'm a geek that way. Um, the animation and the compositing was relatively seamless. Like, if you haven't already, check out the the, the video. It's um, the new Gorillaz video on YouTube, and the song is Humility. But all the lighting and everything, like, I just know animators, and I know people who do this kind of stuff, and to put them in a live-action sequence and make them look like they're really there takes work, and it takes work for it to look like it's not work. Yeah, check it out, and also check out Ace, because hilarious. Um, And then... Uh, 
some really great news um, for those of us who are Expanse fans. And I was an Expanse fan even before I started doing some work with sci-fi. So I just have to put that out there. And I was saddened by the fact that it was canceled by sci-fi. I kind of understand why they did it, and I will get into that in a minute. But season four, um, as everybody should have heard by now, has been picked up by Amazon. Um, And Amazon already had some of the streaming rights. So I wasn't surprised. In fact, I had predicted it to a few people quietly in the comfort of my own home. But maybe it was just my boyfriend and my cat. But I said it. That's the point. Basically, from what I understand, and I need to preface this with, I am not a lawyer, and I I am not saying this on behalf of sci-fi. This is literally my opinion. Basically, the story is that the terms of the original contract, I think, that sci-fi set up simply just wasn't profitable. So they dropped it. I don't think, there's nothing diabolical or biased, really. And trust me, I checked. Like, you know, it's one of the few diverse, casted, sci-fi shows out there and I don't mean sci-fi the network I mean sci-fi the genre um there were a lot of people that like there's got to be conspiracy and this was done on purpose and it wasn't it it was really just money what people don't really get is that sci-fi had all the broadcast rights and this is me again outside looking in sci-fi had all the tv broadcast rights Amazon had the streaming rights and Netflix had the international rights from the beginning of the series, which means if you live in England, none of this means anything to you because you've always been watching the show on Netflix. But, um, and Amazon had the streaming rights. Like for instance, I didn't watch season one when it was on sci-fi. I actually didn't pick it up to season two. I watched season one actually on Amazon. Um, Oh, actually I watched it Nope, I take that back. I watched season one on sci-fi.com. I watched season two on Amazon. Like, I paid for it because it was that good. Um, so if you look at that model, and it, if, if sci-fi only had the TV broadcast rights, and the majority of us, I don't know about you, but I watch everything just about streaming now. Like, I can't remember the last time I, like, turned on the TV and used the remote to click through the channels. Like... Literally, I'm watching everything through my PlayStation 4 on my computer at this point. Um, But what people don't really get is that, um, unlike other dialogue-driven dramas and even other shows, there's a reason why the cost per episode of the of Expanse, with all the 3D effects and all the things that they got to do, is between six and ten million per episode. This is a tangent a little bit. Do y'all remember how in Shadowhunter season one, every time the werewolves transform, every time Isaiah Mustafa, you know, the guy from the Old Spice commercials, every time he transformed into a werewolf, they didn't show it. It was like he would just bend down and you would see like scratches on the wall and stuff like that. That's because they didn't have no money. (laughs) They didn't have any money to do the 3D transformation. It takes a lot of work, a lot of lighting. If you want to learn a little bit more about what it takes, check out a previous podcast I did with Greg Anderson of Fuse Effects. Um, he's worked on Luke Cage, Punisher, Spider-Man, a bunch of different shows. And he goes into detail. There's also a video um, up on the YouTube channel going to detail about what it takes to create these visual effects. So that's sort of what I'm referring to. 
it's a really high cost per episode. And I'm going to assume that the only way the network was making money on the show is by broadcast ad dollars. So do the math. We stream everything. I know I've done it. I can't watch this week, next week. You know what? If I miss three episodes, I'm just going to sit down on some weekend and watch three hours of a show or something. And many times for work, for sci-fi, I'm sitting up at night watching entire seasons of things for an interview or something. I think because of that was the reason why they weren't making any money and they decided to let it go. And I think Amazon saw something profitable in it. Um, now I hope we can watch the next season without having to pay $30 to do it, but we'll see. Now let me explain a little bit. Um, and I mentioned sci-fi a few times and I'm going to explain, explains. Let me go back to summer of 2017. I am an editor by trade. I've been editing commercials and promos for the majority of my career was 16, 17 years. And so the company that I was freelance editing at, or a company um, called Black Spot here in New York, they do a lot of the promo work for Sci-Fi Network. They were going out to San Diego Comic-Con, Sci-Fi Wire needed, editors needed people there to edit for their live stage. I don't know if you guys remember the live stage that was at San Diego Comic-Con last year, but there was a lot of events happening and things needed to be edited throughout the day. So like interviews, things like that, all that stuff had to be edited down. So there was a team of us out there editing. I happened to know Geekdom. So that's how I kind of got to know them. And then the production company, when we returned to New York, asked me to help pitch um, more than one show actually, but in particular, a series of news segments. I did, I pitched, they asked for one, I pitched three which you always do. Whenever you're pitching anything, never pitch one idea because they could always kill it and say somebody else has done it. If you have nothing else to show them, they just don't pay attention. So pitch three, they went for one, um, which is now called Sci-Fi Wire Blast. And they are 30 second hits um, that come on in between sci-fi shows Monday through Friday. So I produce those. I also have, I have two writers that work with me. Hi, Ty. Hi, Ray. <laughs> um, they're great. And um, Ty is also our current production assistant. Um, the host of those most of the time is Jackie Jennings. I am backup. So for those of you who have actually seen me on TV, me, Jackie's unavailable. I'm backup. Don't be mad. I don't mind being backup because I get paid whether or not I'm on camera or not. That's what y'all got to learn. Everybody wants to get on camera, but y'all have to, everybody's got to be patient and learn that there's other ways to make money in this business. The thing that I also do is I also write for that, those segments sometimes, but I also tangentially, the blurred girl, write for Sci-Fi Wire. I'm a contributing editor of Sci-Fi Wire. What does that mean? That means I am part of a podcast called Who Won the Week. Oh, I forgot. I also produced the video version of Who Won the Week, which is a two-minute segment that basically pits two ideas against each other, two geek relevant ideas um, against each other. Like for instance, uh, Deadpool versus Avengers, that kind of thing. That airs late at night on Fridays on Sci-Fi Channel. And then it ends up being posted to YouTube over the weekends. You can see that there too. So those are there as well if you'd like to see them. I also link to them on the Blur Curl YouTube channel. So if you're ever curious, I have a playlist of Sci-Fi Wire stuff that I've done that you can see there. But anyway, I also am on a podcast called Who Won the Week with um, another contributing editor, Danny Roth, and Adam Swiderski, Sci-Fi Wire Editor-in-Chief. 
So that we record every Friday morning up at 30 Rock, uh, 30 Rockefeller Center. Yes, 30 Rockefeller Center is really a thing. It's not just a, it wasn't just a sitcom. And that is up usually by the end of the day unless something's gone horribly wrong. And on top of that, I also write. Um, I have a column called Indie Comics Spotlight. And I also get to host some live events, some red carpet things and some screenings and things like that. So the red carpet stuff, um, the first red carpet event I went to for sci-fi was the Black Panther premiere in February, which was an amazing, amazing thing to be able to do. Like literally like a month before the thing came out so I couldn't talk about it, but it was amazing. Speaking of Black Panther, Black Panther is now out on video. You should have it by now. If you don't, what's wrong with you? When you're watching it, when you're done watching it for the 15th, 16th time, Please go back and check out some of my interviews that I did with Denai Guerrera, who plays Okoye, Joe Robert Cole, who's one of the co-writers, Hannah Beekler, who was the production designer and also was up for an Oscar for Moonlight, and Ruth E. Carter, also award-winning Oscar-nominated costume designer. I will be back after this break to talk a little bit about the indie comic stuff that I was just mentioning and my new column and some of the comics I'm reading. All right, be right back. Do you run a hosted website on WordPress or is your site really slow? Have you gotten hacked in the past and you just didn't know what to do? Well, if so, you need SiteGround. Now I am a SiteGround affiliate. I'm also a customer. In fact, I switched the blurredgirl.com over to them and never looked back. In fact, I've put other people onto them for two reasons, for liability and customer service. You can try it yourself at siteground.com slash go slash the blurred girl. That's siteground.com slash go slash the blurred girl. Now, unlike some other hosting sites that have a really great affiliate program and seem to be really popular, many of them don't have customer service. SiteGround has great customer service. They don't talk to you like an idiot. If you can't find something, they'll help you work through it. They have a really easy control panel and SiteGround is really the truth. You can start hosting your site today for as low as $3.95 a month. You can run a store, a blog, anything really. And they can even move your whole existing site over for you from another hosting service. And you don't have to worry about a bunch of code and stuff. So if you've been blogging or running a website for a while now, it's time to take your site and its security seriously and move up to SiteGround. Sign up today at SiteGround.com. That's S-I-T-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.com slash The Blurred Girl. Welcome back to The Blurred Girl Podcast. Um, I was just talking about a lot of the interviews that I've been able to do through Sci-Fi Wire. I had a great interview with the Society of Illustrators with uh, Mike Mignola. He's the creative hellboy and BPRD and Amazing Screw Top Head. That's also up on YouTube. I've It's just opened up a bunch of opportunities for me and I'm really, really thankful and I'm really, really happy that I am finally being able to put all of the parts of my life together in one place, like my production experience and my geekdom and my writing. So I've been able to do some amazing interviews. Most recently, I interviewed Kat McNamara from Shadowhunters. That's also up. And I just last week interviewed Teo Hadari Coker, the showrunner and creator of Netflix's Luke Cage. And that, I have an embargo. I can't post that. They can't post that video, I don't think, until the end of this week. And I 
definitely can't. I recorded a podcast with him as well. That can't go up until like the end of the month because it's all full of spoilers and stuff. So I'm gonna let y'all watch the show before I post it and spoil it for everybody. So that's gonna be the end of the month. But yeah, I have some amazing stuff coming up. Speaking of some of the comic stuff, I have been able to interview some amazing comic book creators for my column on sci-fi indie comics spotlight among them alitha martinez who's been in the business literally for more than 30 years and she's the only afro-latino who i think who's drawn for the big two if i'm not mistaken she talked about her work with line ford she has a comic called superb and her runs on batgirl and how she was brought in by joe casada i talked to babs tar she's the artist that kind of redesigned Bat- batgirl a few years ago she has some really she's got a really interesting origin story she's a trained oil painter and she also created motor crush or helped cr- create motor crush Jerry Duggan, longtime Deadpool writer. He's got a great new indie comic called Analog about a world that no longer trusts the internet and now pays armed couriers to deliver documents. So it's like they've weaponized DHL in the 90s. It's kind of it's kind of epic though. And his ex is also a sniper and his father is an ex-operative as well, but he's a little senile, so he's trying to take care of him and also not trying to get killed. It really is, it really is a lot of fun. I, I, I like analog a lot. Um, last week I spoke to writer Amy Chu, who coincidentally also wrote one of her first sequential pieces in Shattered, the Asian American Comics Anthology, which Greg Pak did also, and I interviewed him as well. Both the origin stories are fascinating. Like Greg Pak, he actually made an amazing movie that got a lot of attention. And through that movie was able to get walked into Marvel and, you know, just start working on comics that way as a writer. Amy actually has like a degree from MIT, a degree from Wellesley, a Harvard business degree. And I was like, you know what? But I really want to write. And she's amazing at it. But she's known for um, her work on DC's Poison Ivy and Dynamite's Red Sonia. She also was one of the writers on DMC's original comic. So that one's up too. You got to check that out. And that column is on Sci-Fi Wire and drops every week, usually on Thursdays. Uh, I'm shooting for Wednesdays. Sometimes it comes on, on the weekend. I'm trying, guys. I really am. But speaking of comics, let's talk a little bit about some of the comics I'm reading right now. Saladin Ahmed, who I'm actually also about to interview for my column. Actually, a couple weeks ago, rapper, actress, writer, and comedian, Jean Grey, stopped by the studio, and we actually did a Who on the Week and included a couple of the things that um, Saladin's writing. But he's most known for, I think, his run on Black Bolt, that was like incredible and that was with marvel he also has been writing marvel's exiles which was really good but i want to talk about another comic he's doing called abbott abbott is basically a 1970s investigative reporter it's a period piece and elena abbott is a black woman who was writing for an all-white paper in detroit i know i i literally read this with the intent of blasting like why can't a black woman write a black comic but then it was good so i'll be honest i did i really went to look for something with this but it was it's written really well she not only has to deal with obviously 1970s detroit but she's also tracking down what seems like an occult killer but it might not be an occult killer there literally might be there's something spiritual at work um but it also unlocks some latent powers that she might have actually as well um 
I don't want to spoil it, but you really need to read it. In fact, I think it's only a six issue series and I believe the sixth one drops next week, but you've got to check it out. Saladin Ahmed and it's through Boom. So if you go to Comixology, check it out. Also at Boom is Fence. Okay, now I will admit I'm a fan of the anime Yuri on Ice, and I'm also a fan of Ngozi Ukazu's comic Check Please, uh, which deals with hockey. But this is like Yuri on Ice, but for fencing. It's a cute little story about an elite school for fencers and this one guy, he does not come from money. He's been taught to fence, but hasn't been taught all the like high-end stuff. And he, but he does get in because he's fast, but he doesn't come from money and he doesn't, he wasn't trained well. So he doesn't have the confidence and they keep telling him that like, you're not going to win, but you know, you can be our charity case. Um, but he does have a natural talent, a natural talent and a drive that pushes him. And his nemesis turns out to be his own roommate actually. And it's cute, quirky, fun, a little bit gay. And I don't know, I, I like it in the kind of way I used to like manga. Another comic, not necessarily with LGBTQ themes, but with queer characters is The Wilds um, by Vida Ayala. And uh, that's through Black Mask. And I'll admit this one was a slow burn for me, but I like the premise. It's a zombie story, but with flowers. Yep, flowers. <laughs> so Again, the characters like Fence are really diverse. The undead that are fe- infected are so much more sexy than the walking dead. They start growing plants and flowers out of their bodies. I'm not making this up. It's beautifully drawn and I like it. So if you get a chance, you have to check out Vita Ayala's The Wilds. Now also, Harbinger War. Um, oh, and yes, I happen to also interview for my column, Mel Kalo and... Um, Joe Illich from who is now with Valiant Um, Harbinger War now Harbinger War 2 I should say um, because they're finally doing a series starring one of my favorite characters Livewire um, aka Amanda McKee the powered people in the Valiant universe are called Psyots and basically Livewire can control electricity but not just electricity anything that electricity runs through so it's a little bit like Magneto but it doesn't have to be metal she also can control technology so not only she can she control like all the street lights she can control the satellites that control the lights and things like that so anyway without getting into the entire valiant history it's a it she starts this war because the Psyots are basically being hunted down for all intents and purposes so when you get a chance check out valiant also later this year valiant is starting the valiant cinematic universe actually they're starting a uh, bloodshot movie which is starring vin diesel but you got it you need to check out a lot of the valiant cinematic universe because they have a lot of good characters and if you can stop for 10 seconds stop comparing other comic book publications to Marvel and DC, you can actually open yourself up to some really good stories because there's some really good writing happening in a lot of these indie indie um, titles. <laughs> Speaking of Marvel and DC, I promise you I talk about Cloak and Dagger um, because comics and because screeners. Now, I'm not going to spoil it. I'll tell you right now, I will not spoil it because it's just coming out this week. But I am going to talk a little bit about episode one and two. Cloak and Dagger's first appearance was actually in the Spectacular Spider-Man number 64 back in 1982. Um, And they showed up a lot in Spider-Man. They would be guest appearances in Spider-Man. First, they kind of showed up as his nemesis because they didn't like literally know who he was and he didn't know who they were. And then they became friends eventually. But they crossed over with a lot of different people. Cloak is Tyrone Johnson and 
dagger is Tandy Bowen. Cloak has always been a black man. Tandy's always been a white woman. Um, And basically what their story originally was, it sort of took place in New York City, between New York City and Boston. Tyrone... He was a good student. He had a stutter. He had a bad stutter. I do remember that about the comic. And basically him and his brother, and this is not spoiling the show. I'm just telling, I'm, I'm, I'm going through this backstory so I can explain how it's different from the show. So don't worry. This is not spoiling the show. So he and his brother um, witnessed a, basically a store being robbed. They, cops, as they do, stop them. And they tried to say that his brother, Billy, was the one that was robbed the store, but he wasn't. Tyrone tried to explain that it wasn't his brother, but his stutter, as any of you guys know, like my brother had a stutter. And so when people with stutters get stressed out, the stutter can get worse. So that happened, and he was not able to explain that his brother was not the one to to rob the store before basically the police shot him. Tyrone always felt responsible for Billy's death and he ran away to New York City where he basically became homeless. Um, So he was a homeless teen. Actually, when he gets there, he meets Tandy who has also run away from home, but she ran away from the Midwest. I want to say Ohio. And in fact, when he first sees her, he considers robbing her and then decides not to when somebody else tries to mug her and he saves her. And they became friends but Tandy is like naive little white girl and he's like I understand the city right so basically and at, at this time it's the 80s and it's the Port Authority which for those of you who don't know New York Port Authority is very close to Times Square in the 80s it was not the Disneyland that you see now just like Hell's Kitchen it's not what it used to be and it was it was a pretty rough neighborhood. Something else about when this comic came out, it was at the height of the Reagan era and the height of the war on drugs. So the majority of the people that Tandy and Tyrone fought were drug dealers, you know? So their big thing was they basically declared war on drug crime because basically what would happen was, but they also sort of in the comic book world became the patron saints of runaways. So um, anybody who was a runaway who was like forced into prostitution or was all of a sudden a drug addict and was robbing just to survive or whatever, they would champion. They would try to save them. The Marvel comic universe, there were mutants that did not know it. And so what happened was they were both kidnapped um, because, you know, Times Square, Port Authority, Nexus of Evil. They were kidnapped and were given an experimental drug which they were giving a lot of these runaway kids. It, it was a, it's a version of synthetic heroin. And they were hoping to get these kids hooked on it so that they could basically create their market for their product. What happened was whatever was in this stuff killed every kid they gave it to except for Tandy and Tyrone. It activated their powers. And that's how they were able to escape. They were able to escape and like, run away and blow the place up and jump into the Hudson River and there's a bunch of craziness. So what it did was it gave Tandy the powers of light. She could not necessarily use the light around her to create light. She could basically light was within her. And so she could take shards of light and literally create daggers out of them. Close proximity, she could direct them, but she couldn't like send one of her daggers like three cities away. Like she couldn't do that. 
She also, when she touched you, had the power to show you what could have been, the positive things that could have been in your life. Cloak was different. Cloak, for all intents and purposes, was a walking wormhole. Like, in the beginning, like, he would suck you in, and he could, honestly, he could teleport. He could teleport himself and Tandy through his cloak. Bamfing, <laughs> time jumping. But also, if he touched you, or if you went inside his cloak, you would be faced with your demons, your darkest fears, all of the things and and regrets and guilt to an insane level to the point that you, some people would just, um, confess everything that they'd done. Um, I don't know how many persona players there are out there, but if you play persona, his cloak is like a castle. You go in, you get defeated. And then back on this side of things, you just wake up and you're like, Oh my God, I'm so regretful for all the things I've done. Let me turn myself in. Didn't always work though. There were some people that weren't interested in turning themselves in. They took refuge in a a church, and Father Delgado uh, was the pastor there. And it was a church that was you know near the Port Authority. And he knew he learned about their powers and things like that, and he helped keep them safe. They fought um, Kingpin. They fought Silvermane, Power Pack, New Mutants. They aided the New Mutants, and. In later iterations of the comics, uh, 2009, 2010, I wasn't crazy about the 2010 one because they were sleeping together at that point. They were a girlfriend, a boyfriend, and eh, it was just problematic. She all, and, and it's funny because Marvel has gone on again and off again with them being mutants and not mutants. I suppose if if uh, Inhumans had done well, they would have made them Inhumans on, on uh, Freeform. But anyway, um, so that's a brief history of their characters. Um, but in the beginning, they re- they did not sleep together. They were, I would say millennials. They were, I mean, not millennials then, but they were like in their 20, 20s, but they were always looking out for kids that were runaways and ki- at risk kids, um, kids that the cops wouldn't help and that the churches couldn't reach. Um, the Christian undertones weren't, were very strong. They were not hinted at. So that's all canon. The other thing that made it a problematic fave was that basically Tyrone got addicted to his darkness. And I had a problem with that because the only person that could save him from himself was Tandy. And so that meant like, you know, this black dude couldn't get past his own demons or his addiction, quote unquote, without this white woman. Wasn't crazy about that concept, which is why when they announced this show, I was nervous. I was very nervous, just like I know y'all were in were nervous when you heard M'Baku was in Black Panther, because it was like, really, Man Ape though, and but what did Coogler do? He turned that around and made M'Baku one of our favorite characters. So the show switches their situations. She's the runaway. He's the one that comes from like a middle class happy home, and that's something I didn't really touch on in the comics. Her home isn't that horrible. She just decides to run away because she's angry. But he comes from a a middle class home, upper upper middle class home. He's in a Catholic school in New Orleans. This is all set in New Orleans. And I've mentioned several times that I'm very happy about the fact that they moved the show, moved the location of the story from New York because there's like 357 people taking care of New York at this point. <laughs> you know, with all the people in Hell's Kitchen and Harlem and everything. Like Really? Like, there's another city in America that that things happen. So they're in New Orleans, which A, I think is great for New Orleans because I'm glad they're actually doing some on-location shooting down there because New Orleans needs the money. There's another story there. There's a little bit of a different backstory there, which makes it very, very interesting, both with her 
and with him. The premiere of the show is shot by Gina Prince Blythewood. And that is what made me go, okay, wait, no, I want to, I'm going to watch this. She did a little movie called Love and Basketball. And honestly, she's one of those directors that I think handles and can handle this kind of storyline well. Because I'm going to be honest, Cloak and Dagger is on Freeform. Freeform's demo is is women, it's female, it's young. Um, in order to get those guys in there, you're going to have to tell a really good story, even though they are pushing Tandy out in the front of this, um, played by Olivia Holt. We cannot, Aubrey Joseph, and this is why I'm glad they're doing a double, um, a two-hour premiere, because you're going to see both of their lives a little bit better. Even though he comes from privilege, and even though she doesn't, she's a runaway, she still has more privilege in this world than he does. She kind of robs people. She's a pickpocket and things like that. But nobody notices her because she's just like an average looking white chick. But all eyes are on Tyrone because he's a black boy. And everything that happens to him, everybody looks at him. So even though, and he's constantly being told, you have to do better, just follow the rules, you know, wear the private school uniform, do all the things and you can you can succeed. And there's some very real moments in this that prove that even though he does follow all the rules, cops still might kill him. You know what I mean? And I think there's something real to that. The issue I think it's really, really interesting. Now, I think what might be confusing for some people is for the people that don't understand what their powers are, it's going to be a slow, slow burn. For those of us who know their powers, it's going to be really, really super exciting. But they don't explain the powers right away. But the two things I want you to look out for in the premiere is when they do get their powers, the first thing she sees is darkness and the first thing he sees is light. And I find that fascinating because also it's it's teasing something that happened later in the comics because there's darkness and light in both of them, but that's not really talked about. It's a little bit of uh, a, a trauma story. And actually that's something I'm going to tie into the fact that um, I was able to do a screening, Freeform um, flew me out to a screening in Chicago that was co-sponsored by a group called Girls Forward. And Girls Forward is an organization that deals with at-risk girls specifically, mostly refugees um, and people who are from other countries that have come from traumatic situations. And it's based in Chicago and Austin, Texas. And if you get a chance, check out girlforward.org. When I was in Chicago, I had a chance to meet, actually the founder was the moderator for our little panel, Blair Brett Schneider. I think I got that right. Um, she's the founder. She's the founder executive director, and she's really been involved with nonprofits for quite some time. And she's so young, but she was our host, and she was really, really awesome. But a lot of the show focuses on Tandy being at risk and the stuff that she's exposed to. Like her family is jacked up. Her mama is a mess. Her daddy's gone, not left him, but dead. Um, not left her, rather, but dead. Um, and they'll go into, you know, why that happens. But it's just really, they spend a lot of time talking about her, but they also show you, um, I was about to say Aubrey, they show you a lot of Tyrone's life, and then Tyrone gets explored even more in episode two. But his family is dealing with trauma as well, but they're not dealing with it the same way. And again, two things that are fascinating to me. Tandy's mom, 
sort of, she's got issues. She's like addicted to painkillers. She's got a lot of different stuff going on since the traumatic, you know, basically, spoiler alert, death of her husband. Um, And Tyrone's family has also dealt with a death. But their mom deals with it differently. She channels it into her work. At one point, she was falling apart, but she just put herself together and said, "Listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've got to keep moving for my family and for everything else." She gets past it. Why? Because black woman. Also, why? Because Gloria Rubin. <laughs> Gloria Rubin is a fantastic actress, and I remember her from ER years ago. And I just think that the fact that neither one of these families are perfect is awesome. Um. But I'm going to tell everybody, Freeform is not for 45-year-old white men. It is for, you know, millennials. So keep that in mind when you're watching this show. There are going to be some themes that are you're going to be like, oh, wow, that's a little young. But that doesn't mean it's not a good show. In the same way, Supergirl and Flash are for a younger audience, keep that in mind. Because I keep having these arguments with people online about like, oh my God, it's not like how it was in the comics. Well, thank God. <laughs> but I get a kick out of it. I mean, I don't know if I'm the demo for Shadowhunters and I love it, but it, I I really think that Gina Prince Blythewood set the tone for the entire show. Also, she serves as exec, co-executive producer. And I'm just going to check on that. Yeah, she serves as co-executive producer with the show's creator, Joe Pekaski, who was smart enough to say, I think I need a black woman or somebody black in the writer's room to talk about how this is a black story. Um, I would say the the directing team is um, definitely very diverse. Um, don't know about the writer's room. I would like to see some more black women um, in the writer's room, um, to deal with some of the, the finer points. Um, but I'm four episodes in and I like what they've done with it because I like the fact that it's a different story. If you're going to reboot something, if you're going to do an online version, you can tell it a little bit different. And I honestly think had they not swapped these kids backgrounds, this thing would have been dragged all to hell. So I'm really, really happy that, um, even though, Tandy is the one that's homeless and Tyrone is the one that's from wealth. That doesn't mean that it, it makes the story interesting and complicated in a different way. Now, their powers, again, slow burn. They get their powers very early on, almost immediately, but they don't know what they're doing with them and they're not, they don't know how they're using them. And I will, I will say even four episodes in, they still don't quite have the hang of it yet. They're getting there. Um, I hope People give this show a chance because I, I, I find it a lot of fun. Um, also dealing with some real, like Gloria Rubin has this scene with her son that almost had me in tears. Um, so they have some real moments, you know, in it. Um, but it is a superhero show. So I don't want to hear anybody up here and talk about like, oh my God, I wanted this to move me, you know, to the ends of the earth. It's it's not going to do that. But it is very entertaining and very fun. And because there's not really many superhero shows out right now in the tween market, in the younger market, I think it's going to do really well. Because when you think about it, all the stuff that's on Netflix, it's kind of dark. I'm not saying that teens don't watch it. I'm just saying that 
this is one if you were thinking of sitting down and watching with your kids, or if you are younger and you're like, oh God, I don't know why I was with my my folks, my family, my parents, whatever. You could do it. You really could. Um, but I'm I'm just gonna warn you, it is a slow burn as far as the powers are concerned. They want they they work through these characters a little bit. But let me tell you something right now. I want everybody to watch that's listening to this to watch at least four episodes before you make a decision. Because the way Cloak gets his cloak, and I'm not gonna spoil it. Yeah, I just want y'all to wait and see that. And it does not happen in the first two episodes. I don't think it happens to episode three or four. So um that is my take on Cloak and Dagger. Coming up after this break, I'm gonna talk about some of the interviews that I've been doing lately and some of the places that I'm gonna be. Hey folks, just jumping in real quick to see if you know about the Blur Girls shop on TeePublic. In there, I had tees, totes, sweatshirts, mugs, even onesies, and some really great sayings and quotes. All the proceeds of the purchases go towards support of this here podcast, as well as operation fees. So please, if you support this podcast, the site, and the Blur Girl channel, please purchase from the store. There's two ways to get there. One is to go to theblurgirl.com slash store on my website, and you can also check us out on Instagram by following the Blur Girl shop. I have an app set up right inside of Instagram so you can shop right from the app itself and it will take you to the store. You can buy whatever you want. So I appreciate the support. Now, back to the show. So coming up next, I hinted at this um, earlier, but I did interview Teo Hidari Coker and I have also seen all of season two of Luke Cage. This is not the same as season one. Three quick things, and this is all I can really say about it because the embargo was still in effect. Um, Bushmaster is amazing. The I, I think everybody is going to be talking about Mustafa Shakir, who plays Bushmaster after this season because he's amazing. He really is good. Misty. Misty's development is fantastic and Simone Missick does an amazing, amazing job. And you guys have to check it out. You really do because she, as you know, is now an amputee and you will see her but you guys have to see what she deals with because they don't like, it's not like she's an amputee and she's like, oh yeah, I'm missing an arm, I'm good now. She goes through it and Simone Missick really, really does a good job with that. Other stuff I can't really talk about, but I will say this. There's only, there are other baddies introduced, but the Bushmaster is the baddie that you see through the entire season. We don't have a baddie and then he dies and then there's another baddie like you did in, in, in season one. But I do want to just plug a little bit my future interview with him, um, which will be, um, in podcast form. I'll post it at the end of the month. But I asked him a lot of very direct questions, including the one that a lot of people were talking about, which was, you know, the respectability politics uh, situation in season one. And he gave me some very frank answers. Personally, I don't think you're going to ask those too many of those questions in season two, because it's a different kind of story. But yeah, that is coming up. You'll see my sci-fi interview with him up on their site. Uh, let's see, June 20th. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Angelique Rocher, who is the host of Marvel's Voices, uh, a new podcast over there, and I are starting another podcast. It's going to be a live podcast called The Radical Geeks, where we talk to artists about um, basically 
what it's like to do what they do and the impact that it's making and the concept of social activism through images and artist protests. So that is going to be June 20th. Also in Brooklyn, Anyone Comics. It's going to be June 20th, starting at 6.30 uh, at 1216 Union Street in Brooklyn. It's basically Union and Bedford. Again in Brooklyn. We'll, we'll have some stuff posted very shortly about it. But yeah, it's going to be kind of epic. And... And Angelique is great. She's got an amazing personality and she's just somebody I clicked with the moment I met her and I'm so happy to be doing this project with her because this is both kind of like our wheelhouse and we're both like crazy Scorpios that read comics. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I also possibly, maybe, sort of, kind of at the Luke Cage premiere, but we will see because I know that's not happening for a couple of weeks. But the moment I know, y'all will know because I'll be putting that all over social media. And then June 30th, I will be at the Brooklyn Public Library for the Women in Comics convention. I'm going to be on a panel, but that's Regine Sawyer, the creator of Women in Comics, as well as uh, Lock It Down Productions. And that's going to happen at the end of the month. So, as usual, check out all the things I'm going to be doing on Twitter. Um, and Instagrams and the gram. And as and please don't forget to check out my column on Sci-Fi Wire, Indie Comic Spotlight, and the other podcast. I'm giving you like a bunch of podcasts to listen to, aren't I? Who on the week um, comes out every Friday um, on Sci-Fi Wire. And you can actually go to sci-fi.com to check that out. And I appreciate all of you and I appreciate everybody listening. And I just want to say just thank you. There's been a lot of really wonderful people that have been like sending me messages and on Instagram and tweets and DMs and stuff just out of nowhere. And I really appreciate it because sometimes it feels, feels like you're working in a vacuum. You're working in a void. You're just working all the time and nobody notices. And it's really nice. Sometimes when I go someplace, <laughs> I was at, I was at, um, Wizard World in Philly and this, these two dudes were like oh my god you're famous and I'm like I, I, I don't think I'm famous but okay but that leads me to my final thought this week for those of you who suffer from imposter syndrome as many of us do I just want you to remember that every day there is someone starting their journey trying to get to where you are so you're not an imposter because as long as you are out there doing what you do you're showing somebody else that it can be done so even though that you think, oh my God, I don't wear, and this is me every day, like I can't find my shoes, I just stepped on the cat, whereas I think I left the house with one contact lens in the other day, the outside world is going to know this, but the outside world is noticing the impact that you have. So don't give up because somebody out there is watching you and wants to do what you do and wants to see you succeed. Don't focus on all the, the negative stuff. That's going to be there. There are some positives out there and you will find them and they're, and they're there to help you. So that is my final thought this week. So thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Please follow me on Twitter, um, The Blurred Girl, T-H-E-B-L-E-R-D-G-U-R-L, Facebook and Instagram. I'm The Blurred Girl everywhere. But please, most importantly, subscribe to this podcast. Leave a comment, a message. Do you like this new format I'm trying out? Let me know in the comments and tell your friends. Send it to everybody. Thanks, guys. I will see you on the interwebs.